Welcome back to the 80th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories about TSMC's investment in Arizona and taking a deeper look at the CHIPS Act. And of course, we will end today with our Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, it's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So everyone, basically anyone who cares about politics at this point has heard about the CHIPS Act. Some of its benefits are listed as, you know, onshoring of jobs, building connections with TSMC and stronger relations with Taiwan, and trying to keep China at bay. All of these are definitely good upsides of the bill. My question for you all is, which is the most important out of all the ones I listed, or maybe ones that I didn't list, which one's the most important part of this bill? What is really speaks to you when you heard about this news that Joe Biden and the Democrats and the Republicans in a uniform fashion were putting through this CHIPS Act? And we'll discuss some of the costs that come of this benef- this bill, too, because we've had time to really dig into the meat of the bill and also see some of the programs start to be implemented. And are some of the costs that we'll mention here today after you listen, maybe you can weigh them against those benefits and you can decide, well, are those benefits really worth it? All right. If you have an opinion, throw it down in the comments section. I'd love to hear what you have to say. Let's jump into our first article. And I actually, I'll preface, all of these articles are from the New York Times, so I'll just be reading the headlines rather than telling you where the article is coming from every single time like I normally do. So U.S. pours money into chips, but even soaring spending has limits. Quote, in September, the chip giant Intel gathered officials at a patch of land near Columbus, Ohio, where it pledged to invest at least $20 billion in new factories to make semiconductors. A month later, Micron Technology celebrated a new manufacturing site in Syracuse, New York, where the chip company expects to spend another $20 billion by the end of the decade, and eventually perhaps five times that. And in December, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, from this point on we'll just call them TSMC, hosted a shindig in Phoenix, where it plans to triple its investment to $40 billion and build a second new factory to create advanced chips, end quote. So the previous focus has definitely been placed on TSMC, but a lot of other manufacturers across the United States, they are now making larger investments such as Intel, Micron, we just talked about those two, and maybe even NVIDIA. Now, they're not necessarily in the semiconductor industry, but they do rely on some of the same infrastructure that these companies do, so they can take advantage of this CHIPS Act and the building out of the supply chains internally inside the United States. And this also is a big deal because it's not just TSMC bringing in jobs, and they're probably going to bring a lot of work for their workforce over from Taiwan. So we do have to consider that. So it is nice to see Intel, Micron, these other U.S.-based companies also building out their infrastructure and bringing in American jobs and American 
people that specialize in these technologies. And that's what a lot of people really noticed at first about the CHIPS Act. It was about onshoring, bringing those jobs from all around the world into the United States. And also, it's building in some states that don't necessarily get all the love. I mean, we know New York and Arizona, they've been big places for different tech innovations, especially Arizona with Doug Ducey, but we'll, we'll get to that in the second article. But Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio only has one major manufacturer right now of chips. So to see this bring money into different places all across the United States and bring jobs to different economies, it is something that's very encouraging. And that's why a lot of people were loving the Chips Act. Even I, when it first came and was signed, at first I was like, oh, more spending. And then I took a look at it and I said, okay, I I see the benefits here. I at least understand the justification for the spending. Do I think that we should be spending all this money in all these different places? I think we have to weigh our options. But it is nice to see that the Biden administration is really taking the pledge seriously to build American infrastructure, American jobs. And, you know, and all of this extra investment encouraged by the CHIPS Act is really spurred on by subsidies, tax breaks. So a lot of these companies, they're saying, okay, we're paying this much to do something. And the U.S. government saying, okay, with one of our subsidies, you could potentially take away 25% of the cost in order to build these new manufacturing plants. And also, they're just directly giving funding to a lot of these different companies. And, you know, there is a lot of spending here, though. Like I did say, there is a lot of government money going into these programs. You have about $39 billion that could be accessed for the production side and about $13 billion that can go into the education side, ensuring that different universities are actually focusing on the jobs that would be important in some of these industries. Quote, today, chips are an essential part of our modern life, even beyond the tech industry's creations, from military gear and cars to kitchen appliances and toys. Across the nation, more than 35 companies have pledged nearly $200 billion for manufacturing proce- projects related to chips since the spring of 2020, according to the Semiconductor Industry Association, a trade group. The money is set to be spent in 16 states, including Texas, Arizona, New York, on 23 new chip factories, the expansion of nine plants, and investments from companies supplying equipment and materials to the industry, end quote. So, you know, there's a lot of people who have asked, you know, is the government spending worth it? At the end of the day, is encouraging these companies to onshore these jobs and to use this money in a way that is going to encourage chip companies to stay here in America and keep building out their infrastructure, is it going to be worth it? And I can have list some advantages and disadvantages for you. One of the disadvantages here is it's a tried and true practice, which is, oh, we're going to spend on infrastructure. It's We're going to spend on subsidies and funding these different manufacturing jobs or these different industries in the hopes that those industries create more jobs and allow for the U.S. GDP to grow. So they're speculating on the future. And it's all part of the quantitative easing idea of money, which is 
we can spend as much money as we need now because the future, we're investing in the future, and the future will bring in the extra money so that we can reclaim that. And I, I think there could be a good argument to that. But at the same time, that also means that we have to keep a steady labor force, meaning the population has to grow indefinitely at the same rate, if not at a faster rate. And if something happens and China's number one chip manufacturer comes out with a great new process, a great new chip, and they completely derail the chip industry here in the United States, then that speculation may not end up being worth it. But there are, of course, advantages. The Biden administration is trying to future-proof us here. You know, we saw a lot of supply chain issues and car manufacturers were stuck just producing most of the body of the car and then having to wait for the semiconductors to come through. So we're building out the supply chains, the infrastructure here in the United States, so we don't have to be as reliant on other countries around the world. And to some that's a disadvantage, I would argue that's an advantage because we are still going to go to Taiwan for the more expensive or at least the better chips because they can produce them cheaper than we can here in the United States. So it's not like we're totally taking ourselves out of the market, but we are saying that for the basic chips, for those low-end chips that we need on a day-to-day basis, we want to start making those here in the United States. And of course, as I mentioned before, a whole bunch of jobs are being created because of this bill. So we're also trying to reestablish, and I say reestablish, our present presence in the market. Quote, U.S. companies led chip production for decades starting in the late 1950s, but the country's share of global production capacity gradually slid to around 12% from about 37% in 1990. A $50 billion government investment is likely to prompt corporate spending that will take the U.S. share of global production to as much as 14% by 2030, according to a Boston Consulting Group study in 2022 that was commissioned by the Semiconductor Industry Association. End quote. And a lot of these jobs that have been exported, a lot of this market share has gone to Asia. And it's ended up in Taiwan for some of the most advanced chips. And China is also developing their industry as well. So we're trying to bring this back to America. We're trying to make sure that at the end of the day, we design most of the chips here in the U.S. Most of the major chip designers are in the U.S. So why not shorten the supply chains and produce some of those chips here in the U.S.? And I think that it's strategically advantageous towards us. You know, but, but... Taiwan, of course, they want to keep the most advanced chip production at home. It's kind of a a political bargaining chip, excuse the expression, if you will, to hold over the U.S. saying, oh, no, we still have the most advanced chips. You can't just have a supply chain that doesn't integrate us whatsoever. And also, it makes sure that China sees that Taiwan is still keeping the most advanced tech to themselves And they're not willing to sell it out to other countries. Because if Taiwan was willing to sell the technology or create a fab in a different country that could make these advanced chips, then China would let them do it and then invade once that other country has that advanced fab. And we all know China wants to invade Taiwan here in the future. And if the Taiwanese on the way out, when they're getting invaded, want to destroy their fabs, then the most advanced fabrication units for these chips would be gone. So China China would be very hesitant 
to invest in a military invasion if the possibility of those advanced chip manufacturing sites went down. So that's why Taiwan keeps it close to the chest. They don't give it to any other country. They make sure it stays at home with them. And the other beautiful thing about TSMC coming in and investing in America and building a fab here, because there are critics, of course, within TSMC that are like, why are we doing this? This is not advantageous for us. And we'll get to that. That's the final article that really discusses the internal conflict at TSMC. But what I think is beautiful about them coming into the United States is no longer will Micron and Intel basically be able to hold the semiconductor industry hostage or have a whole bunch of control over the manufacturing and production here in the United States. They've been happy to sit on their laurels, produce their chips, nothing too fancy. They're not really at the three nanometer uh, process yet, which is what TSMC is bringing to the United States. So, They've been sitting and they've been doing well, but now TSMC is coming into their backyard. They're coming into the U.S. and it's really spurring Micron and Intel to say, okay, we really need to double down now. It's adding a little bit of competition. It's kind of putting that fire back underneath these companies saying, you can't just get away with doing what you're doing. Otherwise, TSMC will be willing to move into your market and try to capture it. So I think that's one beautiful thing. The other really beautiful thing is the estimate for the jobs is about 277,000 U.S. jobs. So that's across the fabrication units, the different companies that will pop up in order to supply those fabrication units, engineers, and you know computer specialists that will design these chips. So that's a lot of jobs. Some of it is temporary with infrastructure because they need to build roads and different supply chain mechanisms for these companies. So there will be some temporary jobs in that number, but that's still a lot of jobs. And when you look at that, Biden's going to tout that hard. And you got to. At the end of the day, you're bringing a lot of jobs back to America. And you're bringing a lot to Arizona. And Arizona is pushing really hard. They are already building out the infrastructure that I was just talking about for the new TSMZ fab. Our next article comes from the New York Times. I said I wouldn't say it, but there I go again. I just kind of fall into that habit. But it's labeled, How Arizona is Positioning Itself for $52 Billion for the Chips Industry. So from the governors to senators, local legislators, there has been a coordinated push to get TSMC and other semiconductor manufacturers into Arizona. Quote, in recent weeks, Gina Raimondo, the Commerce Secretary, has talked with Senator Mike Kelly of Arizona, spent time with the president of Arizona State University, and appeared at a conference with the mayor of Phoenix. Their discussion centered on the main topic, CHIPS. Mrs. Ramundo is in charge of handling the $52 billion for semiconductor manufacturing and research under the CHIPS Act, a funding package intended to expand domestic production of the foundational technology, which acts as the brains of computers. The legislation, which passed in August, is a prime piece of Biden's industrial policy and part of the push to ensure America's economic and technological leadership over China, end quote. And what I want to really hone in there is the first part of that quote is very important. 
like I mentioned in the first article, it's not just about building the buildings. It's not just about building these sites, the different companies that are able to bring in money and ensure that there are jobs. It's really, it can also really be honed into about education. We want to encourage lots of young people who are going to university to put time and effort into an industry that is both expanding and lucrative for them. And beyond that is lucrative for the United States strategically and financially. So that's what that extra 13 billion is for. It's to go into education. It's to go into these universities, maybe even outside of universities, uh, skilled working programs or community colleges to ensure that at the end of the day, we are supplying not only what these companies who are coming to the United States need in order to make the product, but also make sure that we can have a robust industry, even if they were to leave, because they can learn what they need to from TSMC and then maybe go out and create their own company, maybe create their own fabrication unit that's able to do what TSMC is able to do at home in Taiwan with their more advanced chips. So this is trying to be a really comprehensive all-around package. And Arizona is taking it from all angles. And they've been doing it since 2022. Or sorry, 2020. Well, Arizona has also led the nation in chips investments since 2020 with the announcement of a new chip-making plant by TSMC and two additional factories from Intel that will cost a combined $60 billion dollars. State leaders have helped persuade the company to open facilities by offering big tax breaks, water, and infrastructure grants. They also promise to expand technical and engineering education in the state. State officials and chip companies also acted as a lobbying block in Washington. They helped shape the CHIPS Act to include federal tax credits, subsidies, and research and workforce grants. TSMC expanded its lobbying staff to 19 people from two in two years. And Intel spent more than $7 million in lobbying efforts last year. And most had spent, it's the most that it had spent in two decades. Arizona State University spent $502,000 on lobbying last year, also the most in two decades, end quote. So, like I said, Everybody in Arizona wants this. They are ready for this investment. They are ready for this money to come down the pipeline so that they can take advantage of it. And this is really a moment where we can step back and say this is something that is going to unify the Republicans, the Democrats, the independents in Arizona. Everybody in Arizona at this point is on the same page. And it's honestly very beautiful to see, in my opinion. And it inspires a little bit of hope that things can be better, that we can come together, even if we're divided politically, around things that are genuinely going to help America succeed, grow, and keep its place in the world as a superpower. And so for those of you who don't know how the subsidy process works, you actually have to request that the government pay for certain things or that they provide money for certain projects and you basically have to say this is why I am worth spending this is why this project is worth spending the money on and Arizona is 100% ready they are sitting on the sidelines ready 
to take advantage of this when it finally opens here in the next few weeks. And they're willing, they want to go for that 25% cost reduction for most of the projects. I know I mentioned in the last article, but 25% of cost expenditures can be written off, paid for by the U.S. government. That is huge, especially when you're building all this brand new infrastructure. Ms. Ramondo has described the process as a race among states. Every governor, every state legislator, every president of a public university in every state ought to be now putting their plan of attack together. She said in August during a visit to Arizona State University's Tech Research and Development Center, this is going to be a competitive process, end quote. And it really is, because even though I mentioned New York, Ohio, Arizona, Texas, they're the ones that already have a little bit of the chip industry there. They're really going after these programs. A lot of new states are going to say, oh, this is our chance. If we want to build out our chip infrastructure, this is when we're going to apply for that money so that we can actually start being as competitive as some of these other states are. So that's what you're also going to see. It's not just the people that are already involved, but you're going to see a lot of states that want to get involved and jump in at this point. And, you know, considering Arizona, they do have some advantage because their history with the chip industry is very, very deep. Quote, Arizona's history with chip manufacturing stretches back to 1949 when the telecom hardware and service provider Motorola opened a lab in Phoenix that later developed transistors. In 1980, Intel built a semiconductor plant in Chandler, a suburb southeast of Phoenix. During Donald J. Trump's presidency, he pushed for an American First policy agenda. That opened the opportunity for Doug Ducey, a Republican who was the then governor of Arizona, and other state officials to transform their economy into a tech hub, end quote. And this is what I was talking about with the, the partisan unification. We can move past this partisan BS when we have two administrations in a row that are really intent on bringing jobs back to America. We, the American people, benefit when both, you know, I don't care if you don't like Trump, I don't care if you don't like Biden. Both of them have done things to bring jobs back to the United States. And when we have two presidents like that in a row, even if they have different ways of going about it, at the end of the day, we benefit. As American people, we benefit. And this is where we can really cut through the partisan BS. There are common through lines between the parties. There are common messages. And yes, they are ones that are politically advantageous. We're going to create jobs. Of course they want to say that. But when they actually implement policies that create jobs and incentivize companies to come back to America or incentivize workers to go out and work hard and grow the U.S. GDP and create more innovation, all of these things are good. And we can get past the partisan lines. This is the hope that I'm seeing. When we can come behind something that we understand is strategically advantageous for us to do and will help grow our economy in the future. I know it's all about the money. But with all the culture wars and everything going on, this is a moment of hope. And I know I normally talk negative. This is something that I really, I, I know I keep saying it, but we need to focus in on it. And we need to take these little wins because at the end of the day, we cannot be hopeless. We have to acknowledge the victories as well as the defeats and hold the victories close to our heart and make sure we learn from the defeats. All right, so that was talking about how Arizona has taken advantage and is getting ready for the money coming in from the infrastructure bill. 
our last article comes from a different perspective. Let's just put it that way. Inside Taiwanese chip giant, the U.S. expansion stokes tensions. Internal doubts are mounting at the Taiwanese chipmaker over its U.S. factory, according to an interview with 11 TSMC employees, who declined to be identified because they were not authorized to speak publicly. Many of the workers said that the project could distract from their research and development focus that has long helped TSMC outmaneuver its rivals. Some added that they were hesitant to move to the United States because of potential cultural clashes. Their concerns underlie TSMC's tricky position. As the biggest maker of chips that power everything from phones to cars to missiles, the company is strategically important with highly coveted technical know-how. But caught in a deepening battle between the United States and China over technical leadership, TSMC has tried to hedge its bets, only to find that its actions are now creating new kinds of tension, end quote. And there's really, there's no doubt here that tensions are rising between China and the U.S. right now. And Taiwan is kind of caught in the middle because they want to supply chips to China. They want to make sure that China doesn't just outright want to invade them because they're no longer getting chips. And they want to make sure that they don't piss off the U.S. so that the U.S. helps them and helps defend them navally against China if anything were to happen. So they're stuck in between a rock and a hard place, the very old cliche. And... China and the U.S. are going head-to-head. China may be, there's different reports. Some say they may be trying to give lethal aid to Russia. Other reports are saying that they're trying to broker peace deals, which undermines the U.S.'s key position as the, what we would like to be perceived as the broker of any kind of peace, not China. So tensions are definitely rising between the two. And Taiwan has been caught in a tricky position. And then when they get this opportunity to strengthen their connection with the U.S., even if it's not advantageous to TSMC business-wise, politically, it's advantageous to TSMC and Taiwan. But when it comes to concerns about being distracted and it not being worth their time, I think there are a few counterarguments here, which is the U.S. is providing large subsidies. Arizona's doing the exact same. And by TSMC coming here, they're expanding their foothold around the world. They're expanding their influence. They're making sure that they are a crucial part of American infrastructure, not just the American supply chain. So even though it may not make sense from a purely financial point of view, there are qualitative issues here that I think some of these executives at TSMC or employees are not fully evaluating. Then again, that is coming from an American perspective. And obviously, I want TSMC here providing the jobs, ensuring that we have the technical know-how to make these chips so that we don't get caught behind China. But I think there are lots of, like I said, qualitative factors here that TSMC should be very proud about and very eager. It's not very often that you get 25% cut off almost all the costs you spend to make your factory. It's not very often that cities and states are willing to suspend certain types of regulation and really hurry you through the process to get your infrastructure built in their location. But that doesn't mean that there aren't genuine concerns. Quote, the pressure for the Arizona factory to succeed is immense. Failure would mean a setback for U.S. efforts to cultivate the advanced chip manufacturing that mostly moved to Asia decades ago. And TSMC would have spent billions on a plant that did not produce enough viable chips to make it worth the effort. Quote, TSMC's investment in the U.S. from a business perspective makes no sense at all, said Kirk Yang, chairman of the private equity firm Kirkland Capital. 
and a former tech analyst, citing lofty costs. He added that TSMC might have been forced to set up a factory in the United States because of political considerations. But so far, the Phoenix project has yielded very little benefit for TSMC or Taiwan. End quote. But remember, that it may be years before they actually see a payoff from the costs that they're putting into these new plants. They have to get them up and running. They have to make sure that they get the proper labor in there and that they have stable labor, labor over time. So... While I agree they're not seeing the return on their investment yet, it's a future plan. And as the supply chain becomes more robust, they have more connections, they have more companies that they can go to on the regular for their different components that are needed for their chips, things will get cheaper. And there will be an industry that's built up around it, meaning there will be places that they can very easily sell their chips to that aren't other suppliers around the world. So once again, it's a battle of time. And I understand they're putting in a lot of money now, but they're also making sure that the U.S. is on their side if anything goes down. And if TSMC, for some reason, has to evacuate Taiwan, at least they have plants in other locations around the world where they can continue to produce some of their most expensive chips. You know, But it, it does seem that this is part of an overall expansion plan, which is why I don't necessarily understand some of these people saying it's not a good move because the rest of the company is also expanding, not just in the U.S., but also in Japan. They started, they broke ground on a new facility there in Japan. European policymakers have been pressing in order to get a TSMC factory there as well. So obviously they want to diversify the locations at which they produce some of these things. And if you notice, Japan is a huge producer of electronic goods, just as the United States is. There are a lot of different tech hubs in areas where there's lots of money to be made by selling and producing chips. So I wouldn't be surprised if they open one up in South Korea next, maybe India within the next 10 to 15 years. So they're obviously expanding and making sure that their reach is far flung. So I don't necessarily understand why this one person is saying it's not in their business interest because Sometimes you have to invest money to make money. And sometimes it may seem like a big hole, but 20 years down the road when they're crushing Intel and Intel can't keep up and they're dominating the U.S. market, then maybe this person, Kirk Yang, will be like, oh, wow, I was I was really wrong on this one. I didn't see, see it then, but I do definitely see it now. Quote, TSMC recognizes that there is a cost gap between FABs in Taiwan and those overseas, Ms. Cao said using shorthand for fabrication plant or factory. She added that the company will still anticipate robust gross margins over the long term. TSMC also needs suppliers close to uh, by to provide the Arizona plant with raw materials, equipment, and critical parts. Yet some suppliers are trying to join it there with a more experienced labor challenges and high costs, end quote. And don't forget there is one key part here which i definitely agree with the people that are making complaints or at least being a little bit concerned which is there's a major difference in labor relations in taiwan versus the u.s quote the most difficult difficult thing is personnel management americans are the worst at this because americans are the most difficult to manage end quote three tsmc employees who trained american engineers said it was difficult to standardize practices among them while Taiwanese workers unquestionably follow what they're told to do, American employees challenge managers, questioning if there's a better 
way to do something. End quote. And I would argue this is actually a strength of America. We're pushing for better things. We're questioning and ensuring that the, this is the best way to do something. But if you're from a different culture and TSMC who has the expertise and they know what they're doing and they're coming in and saying, oh, these Americans questioning us and they don't even know what they're talking about, I can see how that would be extremely frustrating. But I'll end on that. America's strength is our questioning and our uh, relentless attempts to always try to make things better, even if we don't understand. All right. We'll end today with our daily delight. This one comes from Travel in Leisure. Two adorable sloth bears were just born at the Philadelphia Zoo. The Philadelphia Zoo is the oldest in the country, and they have two new adorable baby animals joining the over 170 others. Quote, the cubs were born on January 2nd at 3.53 a.m. and at 4.16 a.m. And that their parents, mom Kaya and dad Balu, are healthy and doing great. At this time, the zoo is unable to determine the gender of the cubs and has therefore not named them. However, the zoo deemed the birth a huge success for conversation, sorry, conservation as the sloth bear species is listed uh, as vulnerable by the International Union for Conservation of Nature. So this is, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate around keeping animals in zoos, but this is when I'm 100% for it, no doubt. When we are conserving a species, when we're ensuring that they can grow and maybe one day we could re-release them into the wild, this is when I really love zoos. Quote, the cubs are still in a private area as the parents tend to them while zoo staff monitors them via remote cameras. The cubs will not be on display for several weeks. People wishing to see the new additions should check the zoo's website before booking a trip. End quote. And if you want to see any of the cute videos or photos of these cubs or read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in description below that like and subscribe button. Down there also you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Podvine, Google Podcasts, and you can download it while you're going on a drive. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.